Hello and welcome to Soulful Valley, the podcast for people who want to improve their quality of life through caring about their mental, emotional and spiritual well-being. I'm your host, Katie Carey, and I will be sharing wisdom and ideas from myself and some expert authors, coaches and energy healers that could be just what you need to hear to transform your life today. So excited to announce that Soulful Valley is now a publishing house. Following my incredible journey with Intuitive, I was led to the opportunity to train as a publisher. My first project is a multi-author book called Evolving on Purpose, Mindful Ancestors Paving the Way for Future Generations. If you are a coach or healer and are serious about creating an impact and becoming more visible and would like to invest in this project, becoming a best-selling author in the process, send me an email to soulfulvalleypodcast at gmail.com and I'll send you an application link. We've already begun the journey. Our authors in the hub at the moment are writing their book bios. If you feel called to this amazing experience, get your application in as quickly as possible. And let's make your dreams a reality. Joseph Holmes, also known as JMM Love, the MM for Mary Magdalene and Love for Mary Magdalene's message of unconditional love, was born on December the 13th, the feast day of Santa Lucia. He is a survivor of childhood sexual, physical and emotional abuse, as well as a PTSD disabled combat veteran. He is an Amazon best-selling author with over 45 titles published to date, all helping people discover their purpose and create lives full of meaning, significance, joy, love and success via the spiritual poetry of guardian angel Mary Magdalene. As a seven-year-old child, JMM Love was first graced by the love of guardian angel Mary Magdalene, whom he affectionately calls Maggie. While visiting the border town of Nogales, Arizona with his family. Fast forward to the year 1988, when Jay was encapsulated within a bubble of white light for one week, during which time he was unable to eat any solid food. This began his angel experiences in earnest. In December of 1990, Joseph experienced a PTSD-induced nervous breakdown, where he walked away from his career and livelihood as a doctor of chiropractic while having a wife and two small children to support. He spent the next entire year secluded on his five-acre estate, simply working the land as a form of therapy. People who hear Jay's story in detail are moved to tears and encouraged to never give up as they face their own personal challenges. In 1993, Jay experienced a vision of Mother Mary who blessed him with streams of golden white light. This was in preparation for a state of rapture he began experiencing shortly afterwards and which lasted for a solid five-month period. In 2005, Joseph experienced a visitation from Mother Mary along with Mary Magdalene during which time they partially healed him of his childhood molestations. This began a relationship with Mary Magdalene that culminated in December of 2012 with her awakening him in the early morning hours to act as a conduit for her spiritual poetry, 
free of the dogma and doctrine of organised religion that touches on a variety of life issues, helping readers create lives full of meaning, significance, joy, love and success. From that December morning in 2012 to the present day, Maggie has awakened Joseph virtually every morning with her poetry, now published in the form of Love Notes for Your Soul. Listeners and readers often feel Maggie's poetry is speaking directly to them on their life's journey, helping them listen to their hearts and not get caught up in the ways of the world and what others think or say. In fact, Maggie affirms that whoever is drawn to her poetry can consider her to be one of their guardian angels. Joseph believes there are millions, if not billions, of people who have their own angel stories to tell, but are in the closet with them for fear of being ridiculed or shamed. He hopes that by hearing his story, people will be encouraged to come out of their closets, as he firmly believes that sharing one's angel stories lays the foundation for healing from past traumas and discovering one's gift or purpose. Sharing your gift, or as Joseph likes to refer to it as, walking your road to Rome by taking baby steps, doing what you can from where you are with what you have and acting fearlessly while listening to your angels. You can overcome all your doubts and fears along the way and create a life full of meaning, significance, joy, love and success. Joseph welcomes your comments and angel stories. He can be reached at email joseph at jmmlove.com. His website is jmmlove.com. Hello and welcome, Joseph. Welcome to Soulful Valley. Thank you, Katie. Nice to be here. It's lovely to have you here. Uh, I know that uh, a lot of your work is connected to angels and the um, Ascended Masters. Mary Magdalene and Mother Mary, and I'm, I'm really quite uh, quite like that. My book I'm reading at the moment is the Sophia Code, so there's a lot in there about the Ascended Masters. So I'd love our audience to know more about you, who you are, where you come from, where you've been. And uh, Joseph also is, is known as Joseph Holmes Acker JMM Love, which is beautiful. So, Joseph, can you introduce yourself to our audience? Sure, Katie. Uh, the JMM Love is my pen name, uh, one of my pen names. And uh, the J stands for Joseph. MM stands for Mary Magdalene. And love uh, reflects uh, Mary Magdalene's message, which is only love is real. And uh, this all, you know, uh, I believe that the, uh, most people want to live a life full of meaning, significance, joy, love, and success. And my uh, most popular book that we'll be discussing today is The Power of Angels. And um, uh, most of the book uh, has Mary Magdalene's spiritual poetry in it. I say spiritual because it's free from any religious uh, dogma uh, or doctrine. And, uh, and her poetry helps people. Uh, begin their healing journeys, helps them learn what their purpose or their gift is in life, helps them begin sharing that gift, and then uh, helps them deal with the doubts and fears that come up when we start, you know, following our hearts or following our bliss. My first uh, encounter with Mary Magdalene, and people often ask me, 
well, how do, how do your angels appear to you? And my answer to that is depending on your receptivity um, and your awareness, uh, they appear in different forms. So for example, uh, Mary Magdalene first appeared to me. Now at the time I didn't know it was her. She later told me it was her, but at the time I was uh, seven years old and um, we had just uh, left uh, Arizona, uh, Arizona, uh, returning to San Diego uh, on a summer vacation, visiting my grandparents and cousins. And my parents decided to take a side trip to Nogales, Arizona, uh, which becomes, if we have time, becomes significant uh, when we start talking about Thousand Pierce. But so we uh, pulled into Nogales, Arizona, it's a border town. And to me, it was kind of neat because as a seven-year-old, you had Nogales, Arizona, and right across the border was a town by the same name, Nogales, Mexico. Anyway, we came in at, uh, late at night, so we went straight to bed. The next morning, I woke up, and every my two brothers and my parents were already up, getting ready to walk over the breakfast. And I was lying on my back in bed when this wave of peace entered my the crown of my head and flowed through my body and out my feet. I didn't know what it was. Um, I wasn't scared because it felt really good, uh, really peaceful. Um, but, uh, you know, I didn't tell anybody about it. Uh, and then eventually I got up and we were walking the breakfast. We were waiting at, on the, on the uh, curb, waiting for the light to turn green so we could cross the street. And it happened again to me. I never told anyone about it. Um, again, I wasn't afraid. It didn't scare me because it felt really peaceful, really loving. And so uh, in the beginning, that's how she appeared to me. As a, I call it a wave of grace today. Uh, but she appeared to me as a wave of grace. And then um, in 1990, uh, so that was probably around 19. 55, 56, when that first uh, happened. Many years later in 1990, uh, I had a nervous breakdown and everything kind of came to a, to a head. Uh, I was in private practice. Uh, I started treating people horribly uh, and it just uh, descended from there. Now, I might say two years prior to that, in 1988, uh, I met a man, Reverend John Lawrence. Some of your listening audience may, have, uh, may know John. At the time, he was in his 90s. And he asked me uh, one morning after uh, church attendance, he asked me to come visit him. So uh, the next... Uh, uh, Saturday morning, the following Saturday, I went to visit John. I've never, uh, I wanted just to get to know him. I hadn't, uh, this first time I had visited him. And um, so we sat down to meditate and we had a coffee table in between us. And so we're meditating and sometime during the course of the meditation, his foot hit the, banged against the, uh, one of the legs of the coffee table. And John was uh, in his 90s, so I wanted to make sure he was okay, mm. but I didn't want to interrupt the meditation. 
So I kind of just opened my eyes just barely so I could see him. And he was, he was like looking above my head like he had seen a ghost and his eyes were wide open and he was just staring above my head. And so, well, I knew it was okay. And I, uh, and I didn't want to interrupt the meditation. So I just closed my eyes. We finished the meditation. And uh, when it was time to leave, he excused himself and he came back and he gave me uh, this crucifix. And he said, this is what I saw hovering above your head while we were meditating. I didn't know what to think of it because, you know, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. So a crucifix uh, could have a lot of meanings. Uh, but anyway, I was appreciative. I took it and I went up to my car. And, you know, when you get in your car and you close the door, well, that, that's what I did. I got in the car and closed the door. Well, when the door closed, this was bam, this, this banging noise. And my entire car was enveloped in a bubble of white light. And it was like the car was three feet off the ground. And Katie, I can't tell you how I got home. I have no recollection of it, yeah. but I but I got home. I sat down to eat uh, lunch. I took a fork full of food and I brought it. And I couldn't get the food closer than about twelve inches. The bulk, the energy, the vibration of the bubble white light was so uh, fine compared to the vibration of the food that the food couldn't penetrate penetrate the bubble. So. I existed on uh, raw juices for the next week. Uh, and eventually after one week, uh, during that time, I could not eat any solid food. Uh, the bubble eventually just evaporated. The problem with that, if you want to call it a problem, is when you're in these states like this white light, when you come out, you go into a depression. At least mm. I did. And uh, so you have to deal with that, um, uh, which I did. But that, I think, kind of prepared me for two years later when I had this nervous breakdown. Uh, if I hadn't had that experience, I think the nervous breakdown would have been far, far worse than it was. But it was a nervous breakdown. At the time, I thought, you know, this is horrible. I'm losing my career. I'm walking away from my career and my livelihood with a family to support. But if it wasn't for that, uh, Mary Magdalene would not have come into my life. Um, so at the time, you know, it seemed like chaos. Mm. Uh, but now I see it as a blessing, a real blessing. And it was uh, maybe three years later that I was in this workshop. And uh, it was a one-week workshop. started on Saturday. The following Wednesday, we had a uh, breathwork session, deep breathing session. And it was at night. We were maybe 10, 12 of us lying on our backs. Lights were out and we we're going through this deep breathing. And sometime during the course of the breathing, I saw this uh, pair of eyes above me. And all I could see were the, were the eyes. And I thought that they belonged to my mother who had died a few years earlier, but I couldn't tell for sure. Then when the facilitator announced, he announced that, okay, in 10 minutes, we're going to turn on the lights. So everybody start preparing to 
to sit up and, and uh, come out of your deep breathing. Well, at that time, the light, the uh, eyes expanded, and it was Mother Mary. And for 10 minutes, she beamed me with beams of gold and white light. I just assumed it was a blessing. <laughs> you know, yeah. Again, I didn't know what I didn't know what to make of this. But what she was doing, she was preparing me for two nights later. Two nights later, I had an out-of-body experience. Um, uh, I was guided. I was with the guide, and we came into this area where, out in the distance, I saw this light. I didn't know at the time, but later I was told that was the light of Mary Magdalene. And my guide stopped me and he said, we can't go there. And I said, why? I want to. And he said, no, you'll combust. You're not ready for that kind of energy. And so I came back into my body. And for five months, I was in this state of uh, what I call the light regions, for lack of a better word. But uh, if I can... Compare it to the white light that I was in in 1988. It made the white light look like kindergarten stuff. I mean, these light regions were just, I, I just, you know, it's, we don't have the vocabulary or the syntax to describe yeah. some of these things, but it was just like this region of rarefied light. But I was in this state, I described it to a Catholic one time, and he said, oh, yeah, you were in a state of rapture. So for lack of a better term, I was in the state of rapture for five months, five solid months. I couldn't work. Um, I go into a supermarket, you know, just to go and to buy some groceries. And without warning, just laughter would just come out of me, just giggling and laughter and joy. And people would stop and look at me. I had no control over it. So I was in the... So that was my second experience with Mary Magdalene. But at the time, I didn't know who what, that that light was her. Mm. So first she came as a as a, a wave of grace. Second, she appeared as a light. Third time she appeared, well, when I came out of these light regions again, I went into a severe depression. And I swear, you know, I thought, well, you know, I'm not going to take any more deep breathing courses. <laughs> you know, this is just this is just too much to handle, you know, from one extreme to the other, right? Yeah. So I swore off any deep breathing. So a few years later, <laughs> I heard they were going to have a deep breathing workshop at the Mission San Luis Rey in Oceanside, California. That's one of the 21 California missions. And that mission is associated with Mother Mary. So I thought, hmm, well, it would be nice if I could have another vision of Mother Mary. So I decided to take the workshop. And I announced, that was a Friday, I announced to my um, students that uh, there would be no classes tomorrow, Saturday, because I was taking a workshop. That's all I said. So everybody was gone, I thought, and I was locking up. One of the parents came up and said, well, why are you taking a workshop? And Katie, out, out, without thinking, out of my mouth came, oh, to meet Mary Magdalene. So I'm driving home and I'm thinking, Mary Magdalene? Why did I say that? I have no interest in Mary Magdalene. 
I've taken the workshop to hopefully have a vision of Mother Mary again. Well, anyway, so the next morning at 8 a.m., uh, the facilitator said, okay, we're going to do some breathe, deep breathing. And I'm thinking, no, no, wait a minute. <laughs> if I see Mother Mary again, it has to be like before, like nighttime, lights are out, lying on her back. And he says, this is eight in the morning, you know, very bright. And uh, he said, and we're going to do it sitting in the chairs. And I think, can, can oh, I ask, man, were, you, were, were you not, can I ask, were you not fearful at this point because of what had happened to you on those other was two I occasions? Fearful? No, fearful? were you not scared after what had happened to oh, you no. the previous times? No. Oh, no, because those were all good experiences, mm. wonderful experiences. Just that when I came out of them, mm. that's when, you know, you have to deal with the mundane world. It comes that's, out after, that's, yeah. what I, that's what I didn't like. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so uh, we're sitting in the chairs and we start, this deep, the lights are on, you know, it's very bright. And Mother Mary sticks her, we have this uh, open doorway space with no doors. And she sticks her head around the corner and she comes like right in front of me. And she has Mary Magdalene with her. And they're wearing these black capes, which I have no idea why they're wearing black capes. Later, when the doubts, when we talk about doubts and fears, they tell me why they were wearing black, black capes. But at the time, I didn't have a clue. But they started circling me just giggling, having fun, just, you know, being silly. And then Mother Mary says, uh, I want you to lie down on your back. And I'm thinking, I can't lie down on my back. Everybody's in the chairs. And right at that moment, the facilitator said, okay, everybody on the floor, lie on your backs and continue breathing. <laughs> so I'm lying on the floor. I got my head in Mother Mary's lap and Mary Magdalene is hovering above me. And she enters my body and she heals me of my childhood molestations. Now, I was in my 40s at the time. I had never told anybody about my childhood molestations. She healed me to the point where I began telling everybody about them. And that's, if any of your listeners have been molested, you know, mm. Uh, part of the healing is talk, being able to talk yeah, about it, absolutely. right, and share it, yeah. And so, uh, so anyway, then Mary Magdalene comes out of my body, and uh, Mother Mary says, "Okay, we have to leave," and they leave. <laughs> and my ego, you think I would? Well, I was appreciative that they were there, but my ego chimes in. And, God, they didn't even say goodbye. <laughs> and when, when, when my ego said that, Mary Magdalene pops her head around the corner of the door. She comes up in front of me. She holds my hand and she holds my face in her hands, and she gives me just a peck of a kiss on the lips. And she says, "You silly boy," and she's gone. From that point on, that was around 1993, 95, she uh, she stayed, Mary Magdalene would once, to, yeah, occasionally appear to me, 
until December of 2012. She uh, woke me up at 2 a.m., had me set up my desk with a pen and paper, and she started dictating her spiritual poetry to me. And this is a quatrain poetry, quatrain meaning four verses. So very short poems mm. uh, dealing with, you know, having a happy, successful life. And she's done so every morning since then. So I have thousands of poems. That's beautiful. Well, yeah, and this kind of goes into when, uh, when people start listening to the hearts and start following their bliss, their dreams, doubts and fears come up. And, and sure enough, so this, this began, the po poetry began in December 2012. Now, at the time when they first started in December, I asked her, I said, do you mind if I call you Maggie? <laughs> and I said, I know Maggie's not a nickname for Magdalena, but I've always been uh, next to Melissa. I've always loved the name Maggie. I said, do you mind if I call you Maggie? And she said, no, you can call me Maggie. So then we started calling these love notes, the poems, love notes from Maggie. So that was December. In April, we start having real doubts about all this. I'm thinking, oh, come on, man. These aren't coming from Mary Magdalene. All this has just been an illusion. People are going to think I'm crazy. So one morning, I make a demand. I say, I want proof. I want proof these are coming from you. And I don't want anything nebulous, you know, like a, like a hazy UFO photo or a hazy Loch Ness monster, you know, something that, you know, is just, you know, I said, I want something proof that nobody can argue about. Well, the next morning, nothing happened. Her poetry still came through, but no burning bush, right? A week went by and nothing, a month went by and nothing. I kind of forgot about it because every morning the poems are coming through. So I'm busy, you know, transcribing the poems, putting them in the computer and everything. Well, that was April. In July, a few months later, she says, I want you to publish this. And I'm thinking, okay, if I'm going to publish these, maybe I should get some reviews. So I'm thinking, I don't want to ask my friends because, you know, they'll just say nice things. I want honest reviews. So I go to this website that has thousands of people who provide different services like uh, Photoshop, uh, voiceover, stuff like that. And I said, well, you know, this is going to take forever. So I thought, I'll just go through the pictures. And if I find a photo that I latch onto, I'll go from there. So I start quickly going through all the photos. And I come upon this photo, this woman. And I look down and her name is Angelina. And she provides a, a service, but it's not a book review or anything. But Maggie, Mary Magdalene, tells me, send her an email. So I send her an email and all I say, Katie, all I tell her is that I just have some poems. 
and I'll pay you for your time to read them. I won't pay you for a review. I'll pay you for your time. If you want to give a review, if you move to give one, that'll be fine, good or bad. It's up to you. I just want a review. Um, and she writes back and she says, well, no, that's not the service I provide. <laughs> so you would think I would move on to someone else, right? So Maggie tells me, no, stay with her. <laughs> so we go back for a few days. Finally, Angelina says, okay, send me some poems. I think just to get me out of her hair, right? She said, send me some poems. <laughs> and if I, if I like, yeah, I'll give you a review one way or the other. And um, so the next day she writes back. So when I send her the poems this time, right? The first time I just told her I had some poems, didn't say anything else. This time I explained that the poems came from Mary Magdalene. And we're calling in love notes from Maggie because my nickname for Mary Magdalene is Maggie. So the next day she writes back and she goes, Joseph <laughs> says, I have to tell you this. Says, I love these love notes, but I have to tell you, and you are not going to believe me. So I'll send you, I'll send you a copy of my passport to prove it. But my name is Angelina. That's what everybody calls me. But when I was born, my mother wanted to name me Maria Magdalena. And oh, I've just got shivers all over my body when you said yeah. that. Oh, well, me, me too. I, I, I've told this story hundreds of times. I still get shivers. And she says, My birth certificate, my legal name is Mary Magdalena. And she says, you're not going to believe this. When I was growing up in Greece, one day one of my best friends called me Maggie. And I loved it. And from that point on, only my best friends called me Maggie. And I said, okay, wait a minute. I said, Maggie's not a nickname for Magdalena, is it? She said, no, it's not. But one day one of my friends just called me Maggie and I loved it. <laughs> so the next morning, and and this and, and there's a picture of Angelina on the back of the Power of Angels with the poem. But the next morning, I get this poem from Maggie, and it says, "Ah, oh, Joseph, when things like this happen, it is magical and fun." Angelina to Magdalena to Maggie, who would have thought? And from across the sea. And we even look alike, so run, my dear, and jump and sing, that when you look at her, you are seeing me. Isn't that beautiful? And, beautiful. and that, that was my burning bush. But it came on Maggie's time, not on my time frame, right? And you got your evidence. And so, <laughs> and I got my evidence, irrefutable. Yeah. I mean, yeah. thousands of people, and I picked this <laughs> and, and then and then when she told me this I, I you know so clear my when she told me this I looked down at her name again Angelina Angel Ina yeah and I thought <laughs> yeah I thought this is an angel from Mary Magdalene right so uh now um and I want to emphasize this to your listeners. You would think after something like that, I would never have any doubts again. 
But that's not how the ego works. You know, the ego, E-G-O, is an acronym for edging God out, right? Mm. Ego, its main job is to keep you out of your heart and from living your purpose or sharing your gift with the world. That's its main job, is to keep you from doing that. So now, whenever I have doubts, and I still occasionally get doubts, I don't have to make a demand. She just comes in, <laughs> comes in with a with an answer, you know. So, for, so for example, um, about a year later, you know, doubts started creeping in. Uh, never like the original doubt, but you know, ego's always there. And uh, one day, she says, uh, "Look up." Carlos Castaneda. For read it for listeners who don't know Carlos Castaneda, in the 1960s, Carlos was an anthropology student at the UCLA, the University of California, Los Angeles, and he had he was writing his doctoral thesis, and he would leave uh, Los Angeles and go out to the Arizona desert, where he met the shaman this uh, Indian shaman named Don Juan. And Don Juan took him under his wings and taught him all this knowledge about psychedelic um, mushrooms and, and all this stuff. And he would come back and he wrote it up as a doctoral thesis. It became a book, it became a worldwide best-selling book. And then he subsequently published more best-selling books. But uh, a lot of people uh, criticized Carlos saying, oh, you're just making all this up. And Don Juan doesn't exist. And, uh, and he said, no, Don Juan exists. I first met him at the bus station in Nogales, Arizona. Well, I knew all this about Carlos because I was, in, um, I, I was an anthropology student a few years after he, this all came. He started publishing his books. So I knew Carl's story and the controversy around it. So I couldn't understand why Maggie was uh, asking me to look up Carlos Constantine. So, you know, I mean, I Google Carlos and I'm kind of reading and I know all the stuff about him that I'm reading. But over in the sidebar, there's this title that says, I can confirm Carlos's meeting with Don Juan at the Nogales bus station. I thought, well, that's interesting. So I clicked on that. And there's this story, this guy who was friends with Carlos, so he knew what Carlos looked like. He had been traveling in Mexico and he was coming up to cross over uh, at the Nogales uh, uh, border station. And But before he got to Nogales, he got sick and he decided to recuperate in Mexico before crossing over. That was important because he said if he had just went ahead and crossed over while he was sick, he would have missed that meeting with Don Juan and Carlos. So he recuperates and then he crosses the border and he sees uh, Carlos meeting with Don Juan. The name of the town that he recuperated in, which is a suburb of Nogales, Mexico, the name of the town is Magdalena. <laughs> so Maggie's 
you know, when the little doubt comes in, that's what a lot of a lot of times these things that happen to us, like the grace flowing through me and the gallows, I think they're set up. So because your angels know later on you're going to have these doubts, right? And so they have these reference points that they can send you back to to say, stop doubting, right? Yeah, so, we've given you so much evidence and you still doubt us. <laughs> That's right. Well, that, that's because of the ego. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, you know, I used to, people say, well, how do you deal with your ego? And I used to fight the ego. And what I've learned is that whenever you fight ego, ego always wins. Mm. I mean, you know, so it, it just, I just got to the point where I decided to befriend ego, make ego my friend. Yeah. And ego comes in a lot of disguises, you know, doubt, fear, anger, uh, bigotry uh you know it comes in all kinds of disguises so whenever i notice ego i just now i i i it's my friend now i say thank you for reminding me to go back into my heart so now it's just a friend before i would fight it you know oh you know it's trying to and now it's just thank you Thank you, friend, for reminding me to stay in my heart. And I always go back to my heart. That's a beautiful, you know, when you have way. to deal with yeah. the mundane, yeah, if you have to deal with the mundane world, it's very easy to get out of your heart. Mm. No, stop following your bliss. Stop. Your angels are always talking to you. So one, one host asked me one time, well, why you? Why did Maggie choose you? And I said, well, it's not a matter of choosing me. I was just receptive. Yeah, I think that's it, isn't right. it? If you're open to, right. if you're open to right. it, then then yeah, you're, you're, the, you're the one that's going to come through. Sure, your angels are always talking to you, but if you're not receptive, if you're just listening to the endless chatter in your head from ego, you you can't hear what your angels are saying mm. because they whisper to you. You know, it's not like they're shouting at you; they're whispering. And you just have to be receptive to it. And, and that's why uh, the first part of the book, uh, The Power of Angels, uh, I share some of my angel stories. Because I think, I think Katie, and when you agree that there's, there's, if there's millions, if not billions of people who have their own personal angel stories, mm. right? But they're intimidated. The yeah, they're, they're too scared to talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. People are going to label them. They're going to mm. think they're crazy. And, and my, uh, the purpose of the book is by sharing my angel stories, I hope to encourage other people to begin, to, well, what I call come out of your angel closet. Start sharing your angel stories. And if you're, if you're afraid to share them with relatives or publicly, uh, they, I have uh, my uh, emails, joseph at jmmlove.com. They're free to, to share them with me. I'm not going to share them with anyone else. Uh, but if, if, they, if they feel like I'm a safe place to start sharing their angel stories, uh, they're, they're welcome to, to send them to me. That's lovely, uh, thank or you. Or you're welcome. And if, if somebody thinks, well, I don't have any angel stories, and I think everybody does. Some people are just not aware of them yet. Uh, share other people's angel stories. 
You know, just 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 say get in that habit of talking about angels, mm. right? And then as you do that, if you get when you as you get comfortable sharing angel stories, that lays the groundwork for your healing from past traumas. And it also helps you discover what your gift is to share with the world, what your purpose is. And then the and that's where the poetry. So uh, the first part of the book is my stories, encouraging people to come out of their angel closets. And the second part of the book is, is Maggie's spiritual poetry, which helps them uh, start their healing journey, uh, discover what their purpose is, and then to start sharing that purpose with the world. And as they do, to deal with the doubts and fears. And that's what the poetry does. Helps them deal with those doubts and fears, helps them discover what their purpose is, and have the courage to start sharing that purpose with the world. That's such a beautiful gift to the world. That, that, that it's just going to help so many people. I want, I want to look at that. I want to read that. <laughs> yeah, sounds beautiful. Yeah, it, uh, yeah. and and and, and, uh, and I, I connect with that because I channel, I channel songs and I channel writing as well. I channel my chapters. Mm-hmm. But there's years that I haven't done that because I was disconnected. And it's it's not right. until you reconnect back into who you really are and that that connection right. to something far far greater than us as humans that our genius starts to flow through, doesn't it? It's mm-hmm. and you can see that with other other even famous people who have been geniuses, like Prince. Right. He used to channel his music, sure. And, and there's other sure. artists that have done that. And so when you look at the bigger picture. There's a lot of people doing it and connecting in with their angels, spirit, that don't even realize that's exactly what they're doing. They don't realize it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, somebody once asked Picasso, said, well, you know, Picasso, how do you how do you create the things that you create? And now this is Picasso, right? The, the guy who loved bullfighting and, uh, you know, uh, very uh, not, a, not the best reputation with women, right? I mean, very down to earth guy. And he said, uh, well, it's simple. Said, when I go to my studio door, before entering the studio, I leave my ego outside. And remember, ego, E-G-O, is an acronym for edging God out. All right, so even Picasso, as worldly as he was, he knew that his creativity didn't come from him. It came from a higher source, mm. and and uh, um, uh, Rembrandt. All these people knew. They knew this. They talked about it. Uh, that creativity. Nobody creates anything. It's already created, and it just flows through, you know, and out. But again, that's ego, you know, uh, and, and that's what I want to emphasize to your listeners is. Uh, just accept ego. Yeah. It's it's never it's not going to go away. It's but befriend it instead of fighting with it. Just make it a friend. You know, every time it rears its head, just say uh, thank you for reminding me to drop back into my heart and listen to my angels. All right, and it's a process. It's it's not easy in the beginning. Uh, sometimes you forget, uh, but it doesn't matter. You know, you might forget for a week or two. And then, oh, yeah, 
yeah, okay, thank you for reminding me to drop it. That's okay because it's a process. You know, there's no wrong, right or wrong with it. Just, you know, just be conscious of it. And then uh, soon uh, you don't even have to say thank you. It's, it's just automatic. You just, it's just kind of like a flow, like an infinity, right? You, you realize you're caught up in ego and then you just flow back into your heart. And it just flows back to ego, and then you flow back to you. It's, and that's what life is. It's the constant flow of going in and out of your heart. You know, but Maggie says, you know, when you can get to the point where you're, where you, it goes back to what the little prince says, right? When you get to the point where you can view your physical world that you see with your physical eyes, through the eye of your heart, then you can be in your world, but not of it. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I get that. that that's exactly how I've survived all of the crisis that we've had in the last year. With, yeah. Without, without you know, judging people's responses and reactions and, and live from the heart with compassion is, is, is how I have dealt with that. Uh, everything that's happened over the last year. Yeah, and, and you know, and it's hard, you know, it's people are in different stages of being tested. And, uh, you know, I've never lost a child. I can't imagine the pain mm. of losing a child. And it's when I talk about this subject, it's difficult uh, because it's very difficult for people who have lost a child, for example, to, to grasp this and, uh, and, uh, and I'm saying that they should grasp it. Um, uh, but, and it goes back to Judas, for example. People, I, I worked with a doctor who had, uh, he told me he went on vacation at Rio de Janeiro to visit the, the Christ of the Andes. And at the base, apparently there's a, a museum or some sort. And they were in line going through the museum. They came across a three-dimensional layout of Judas and other people. He said, somebody in the line pulled out a pistol and shot the head off of Judas. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, I mean, holy cow, you know? <laughs> and But uh, there's, there's a way of looking at Judas, for example. And I'm, I'm not saying this is the correct way, or I'm just, uh, you know, uh, suggesting to your listeners that just consider it. But perhaps Judas was the greatest of the disciples, of the male disciples, because he knew what had to happen. And he was the only one that could fulfill the mission. Come on, we you have to admit Christ knew exactly what was going on. Yeah, and I've been getting shivers just hearing that because there are decisions yeah. sometimes in life as well that we have to make that are really difficult, but we make them out of love. Right. Yeah. So so it's it yeah, I totally get that. I mean, you know, and when Maggie, you know, when Christ appeared to Mary Magdalene, the she was the first one he appeared to. And she went back to tell the, the male disciples, right? 
And they all came down on her and said, no way, there's no way Christ is going to first appear to a woman. <laughs> right? And then Matthew, Levi, came to her defense. And see, even those disciples who were that close to Christ, even they, their egos were running amok. Right? And when Maggie came back and reported that she had seen what they didn't understand is that she didn't see Christ with their physical eyes. She saw Christ through the eye of her heart. And it's the same way I see when, when Mary Magdalene or, or Mother Mary come to me now, I don't, it, it appears that I see them with my physical eyes, but I don't. I've seen them with the eye of my heart which then connects to my physical eyes and I see them. So ego wants me to think that I'm seeing them with my physical eyes and I'm not seeing them with the eye of my heart. So that's why it's so crucial just to understand what ego is. Ego's job is to keep you out of your heart, keep you from following your bliss and sharing your gift with the world. That's all, it's just, it's, it's like Judas's job was to be, was to betray Christ, right? That was his job, and, and the ego is is his job is is to betray you. So just instead of fighting it, just uh, thank you for helping you learn to stay in your heart more and more. Thank you for sharing that lovely advice. Is there anything else you'd you. like? Is there anything else you'd like to share with us today? Well, uh, I, I no, I think. Uh, I mean, I have plenty of stories, <laughs> doubts and fears, but uh, I don't. I know we're on a time thing here, but um, um, I, I can tell you one more story. It would help you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, about five, about five more minutes. Okay. Mm. Well, what, when I was in college, my first year of college. I was a real shy person, and I didn't go out of my way to make friends. I was an anthropology major. But um, I met this uh, Mexican lady, and I went to college in, in Chula Vista, which was uh, uh, very near the Mexican border. So a lot of Mexican students would drive across every day to attend college. <clears throat> and uh, uh, between classes, I met this uh, lady. Her name was Migdalia. Now I had taken three years of high school Spanish. I had a lot of Hispanic friends. I had never heard the name Migdalia. That, that was an uncommon name. And, and that's why I remembered it. Uh, uh, but anyway, um, there were things that made her stand out. First was her name, then just her beauty. She was like an Aztec princess. She was from a very well-to-do family. She had the hair going down past her buttocks, just straight. It looked like silk. Uh, she had this Aztec nose, this regal nose. I mean, if she had if she walked into a room full of people, people would stop and look at her. And she had this inner beauty that matched her outer beauty. And those are significant because they made her stand out to me. And uh, anyway, we, we became friends. And um, we never had classes together. She was an art major. 
but in between classes, we would always spend uh, time together. And anyway, it was uh, a height of the Vietnam War, and then began drafting college students. So I had a choice, go to Canada. Now look, I grew up in Southern California. I'm not going to Canada, sorry. <laughs> snows in Canada. <laughs> and anyway, so I thought, okay, I'll enlist. And if I enlist, I can choose uh, what profession I am within the army, right? So I'm not going to be a grunt out of the rice paddies. So I decided you know, it was a chaotic time. And so when I decided, it was like a spur of the moment then I decided to join. I didn't tell McDalia. And uh, the last time I saw McDalia, I was in the parking lot. I'd gotten some books out of the trunk of my car and I was walking back to classes. She was leaving for the day. And she always carpooled with uh, four of her friends. And she always sat in the back of the car in the middle between two of her friends. But anyway, her car was pulling out. She didn't see me, but her friend saw me. So her friend tapped her on the on the arm and whispered something to her. And Magdalia turned completely around in the car with this ear-to-ear -ear grin and waved goodbye to me. She was thinking she was waving goodbye for the weekend because I never saw her again. Well, I joined the Army. I guess sent to Vietnam. And when I'm in Vietnam, you know, when you first got there, you had to wait a week in Saigon, the capital of South Vietnam, for your paperwork to come through. And anyway, uh, I was going to a place called Pleiku, in the central highlands of South Vietnam. Anyway, so everybody knows you do. So everybody's asking, well, where are you going? Where are you, where are you stationed? And every time Katie, I would say Pleiku, I didn't know Pleiku from, you know, a hole in the wall. Everybody would say, oh, no, that's, that's the most dangerous place you can go in Vietnam. Well, okay, thanks. But that's where <laughs> I'm going. So I get to play coup. And I didn't know at the time, I learned later, but a week, uh, the month before I got to play coup, you know, they hire local people to work on the base. And um, apparently they had the Viet Cong had spies because they mortared the base. They knew exactly where those, where the barracks were. And they know that once the mortaring started, people would run out of the barracks to get down to the bunkers. Well, they lobbied those mortars, right? They just stepped them right down between the barracks. They knew where each barrack was exactly. And a bunch of guys were wounded, some guys were killed. <clears throat> well, when I got there in May of 1969 to May of 1970, we never took any mortar rounds, no fire at all for the whole year I was there. Now, every week, the airbase next to us would get mortared. And after a while, we started getting a little disgruntled about that because every time they got hit, we had to go on alert, which means we had to get all our gear, get down to the bunkers. <clears throat> and it was just, a, it started to become a big nuisance, which in other words, became very dangerous for us because we, we became very complacent. 
oh, they're not going to hit us. They're hitting the air base, you know, and that becomes very dangerous. Well, anyway, for the whole year, I was there, nothing. And we worked out, well, my job was to intercept the Morse code communication from North Vietnam to its guerrilla units in the South. So we had a very important mission, very uh, highly classified mission. And uh, so we worked on these trailers on back trucks. So the Viet Cong never overran us. The trucks could be leaving and we could be inside destroying all the classified information. Okay. So anyway, for the whole year I'm there, we never take a direct hit. I go back to Saigon and wait for my paperwork before coming back to the States. And while I'm in Saigon, Katie, I get word that the trailer I worked in took a direct mortar round. Three of my friends I worked side by side with were killed. For the whole year I was there, nothing. So later, a couple of years ago, I was having doubts, right? One morning, Maggie says, look up the meaning of Magdalia. Now, I hadn't thought about Magdalia for 30, 40 years. I'm thinking, but you never forget that name, right? And I thought, Magdalia, why is she asking this? But I look it up, and it says Magdalia, flower. And I'm thinking, okay, yeah, she was like a flower. Okay, but why, why is Maggie asking me to look this up? So the next morning, Maggie says, look up Magdalia. And I said, well, I looked her up. And you can just see her rolling in her eyes, right? She says, look it up again. This time, use a different source. So I, I, I use a different source. I look up Magdalia. It says Magdalia. Derivative of Magdalena. So what Maggie told me when I was having these doubts, she said, Big Dahlia, she turned around and smiled at you, was telling you, you were going to be okay in Vietnam. You know, and so like I said earlier, uh, your angels give you these experiences so because they know you're going to have doubts later. So they have references they can send you back to you to quell any doubts that you're, you're having. But these are earth angels, you know, Magdalia, you know, she, she's an earth angel, right? Mm. And we all have earth angels in our lives, mm. right? And that's why you should always treat people kindly, especially strangers, because yeah. you never know who they are, right? And you and I, you're all your listeners we're all earth angels the other people we just don't know it mm. we're just not aware of it you know and uh, so anyway that's uh i have lots of oh just thank, thank you for sharing around, that. that's, uh, around doubts and fears <laughs> so those are in the book those are in the book and uh great uh, so if, if our listeners want to come and find you where can they find you joseph yeah they can uh, I have a website. It's jmmlove.com. And I have links to my books there. Uh, and uh, But the book we're, we were talking, it's, it's my most popular book. It's called The Power of Angels, Volume 3. And uh, if, if, if you just put in Joseph or Joseph Holmes, 
there's other Joseph Holmes and uh, there's other books about angels. Angels is a very popular subject. So uh, you should put in The Power of Angels, Volume 3, and that will bring my book right up to you. And it's in a paperback and, and ebook form. And my contact information is there. It's also on my website. But again, um, I love to hear people's angel stories. Uh, they can uh, email me at joseph at jmmlove.com. And I'm also uh, a lot on um, on Instagram. Um, that's that's my main social media is Instagram at j period mm period love. That's great. But Thanks this is so great, much. Katie. I appreciate what you're doing. You're, you're uh, very welcome. Thank you so much for sharing that today. Some beautiful stories there. And, Thank you uh, for having me. And I look forward to reading your books. Oh, thanks. Well, I hope uh, this helps your listeners. Thank you. Helps bring people out of their angel stories, their angel closets, and helps people discover their their gifts so they can start sharing them with the world. Because we just need more people like you and your listeners to start sharing their gifts. Uh, Absolutely. Okay. I will say bye for now. All right. Thank you so much. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Soulful Valley podcast. Hopefully you will have heard something today that helps you feel a little lighter and more connected and aware of who you really are. My aim is to share love, light and wisdom, raise consciousness and ease suffering. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe, rate and review and let others know about this podcast if you think that it would help them in any way. You can find me at the Soulful Valley podcast page on Facebook. My website is soulfulvalley.com. You can also connect with me on Instagram at soulfulvalley.com.